So I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about the subject, am I a Christian? I think it's, it's worth talking about. I want you in your imagination to just kind of go back with me almost 2,000 years. I want you to see the sun is setting. There's an old, old man. His, his skin is, is paper thin. He's got little tufts of white hair sticking out of his head. And he's sitting on a, a park bench. Beautiful gardens all around him. His eyes are closed as the sun hits his face. Servants busy for as far as the eye can see, making the beautiful flower garden that just goes on and on. It's all his. He owns it all, the old man. He comes here a lot as his life is kind of fading like the setting sun. And he thinks a lot about a time in his life, a moment in his life, this momentous instant in his life when he made a decision that affected everything. Now his rabbi tells him he's the most religious guy that he knows. He's been a good dad as best that he could and he's loved his wife, God rest her soul. He's tried to do good in the, in, in the community and, and make a difference and he's always attending the synagogue and he's always there. Every time it's open just about. But the thing that he goes back to is this moment in his life when he was just a young man as he has his eyes closed and he's thinking he remembers it like it was yesterday as he walks up and kneels down before the one they call the rabbi the teacher the master his name is Jesus and this rich young man says to him master what do I need to do to have eternal life and he sees Jesus look at him and the Bible tells us that in that moment that Jesus looked at him, he just loved him. Love just poured out of Jesus for him. I, I, I think the, the young man could feel it. And he said, well, keep the Ten Commandments. And uh, I want you to not kill anybody. Don't commit adultery. He said, I've done all that. I've done all of that, Jesus. From the time I was just a, a child, I've done all that. And and. I'm doing, I'm trying to live right and, and take care, of, you know, watch over my fellow man and do all of these things. And so Jesus looked at him, looked right into his heart. And he said, only one thing. When I look at you, I see only one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the old man still remembers the sadness that welled up in his heart as his face dropped. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And he walked away. And as he was walking away, he, he could hear Jesus say how hard it is for the rich to come into the kingdom of God. And the disciples being amazed saying back, then who can be saved? And Jesus saying with God, everything is possible. Anyone can be saved. I want us to look to today for just a few minutes about at what Jesus said it takes to be a Christian. Because, you know, it's not so important what other people say, right? It's important what he says. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, I want you to examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine to see if it's authentic 
Test yourselves. In fact, he says the word yourselves in the original language over and over. You, yourself, is how it actually is put there. So it's an emphasis. I want you to do it. I want you to check. Don't ask somebody else if they think you're a believer. You check and see. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you've failed the test of genuine faith. A few years ago, the, the Pew Forum did a, a religion and public life survey that was a huge one. Uh, a, a detailed study of faith in America. And here's their finding. Americans are very open in terms of various paths to heaven. And even in interpreting the teachings of their own faith, the majority tell us there's not just one right way to do that. The study found that 70% of Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. In the words of sociologist Christian Smith, civil religion in America is intolerant and inoffensive. He refers to our post-Christian future as moralistic, therapeutic deism. And then he lists some of the core elements of the new catechism. And here they are. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Secondly, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And three, good people go to heaven when they die. Well, let's compare American religion to what Jesus said. And I think this is where it's going to, we're going to begin to see that it's so important to know what Jesus said about life and about Christianity. I mean, he's the, he's the one that created it, right? Here's what he says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus, in the last few months of his ministry, the crowds have dropped. I mean, they were in the tens and tens and tens of thousands, maybe as many as 70, 80,000 listening to him at certain times, and they've dropped way down. There's nothing sadder than to see something like that. It's a difficult time. I remember a, a few years ago, I heard that the band Creed was coming back to Houston, and I thought, you know, they used to fill stadiums. They were in this venue of like, there's like 250 people there. And I thought, this is really sad, you know, as I'm reading about it. That, it, it, I mean, what must that feel like for them? Well, Jesus is in that same mode. It's like the things that he's said have been too hard and the crowds have scattered. And he's in his final journey to Jerusalem, but he's going around to all of the cities that he's been to before one last time. And he's sharing with them about the kingdom of God and this is where Luke 13, 23 through 25 comes in. Someone in the crowd, when he shared in one of the little cities, said to him, Lord, are there just a, a few who are being saved? He's looked around. He's seen that the crowds have dropped off. And, and all of this anticipation that Jesus is going to be the great ruler, the great Messiah that comes in to overthrow Rome and bring back the 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 great Israeli empire and, and, and the, the Jewish rule, it, it's all started to fade because they're realizing something's, something's different. Well, I don't know what he's teaching, but it's not this, even though he claims to be the Messiah. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not 
be able. As Jesus goes, he does these miracles. The people have been attracted to him, but then his words come out, and they're harder than they expect, and, and, and they can't understand them, and they, they don't know what's going on with this, and so they said, this is too hard for me, and many of them have walked away, even to the point that at one point Jesus turned to Peter and James and John, and he says, do you too want to walk away? And Peter, who's always the one that has something good to say or something to say anyway, right? He says, where would we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. So they're, they're in this mode and, and um, Jesus' message is salvation. They knew he came to seek and save the lost. He talked about that. He came to save, but the lost for the most part refused him. It wasn't that they didn't want salvation. It's just that they wanted it to look like they wanted salvation to look. They wanted it Uh, on their terms and so this guy says Lord are there just a few who are being saved and look how Jesus answered it he never really said well here's the reason or here's the number he said strive to enter in by the narrow door it's irrelevant what the number is it's irrelevant what the percentage is what's important is what is relevant is that you be saved that you enter in and so that's where Jesus comes from and And then he launches into an invitation to salvation. And he starts with an amazing analogy. He says this, strive to enter by the narrow door. The door to the kingdom is so very narrow. In fact, it's so narrow, it's hard to get through. Strive, the word strive in the Greek, agonizo. We get our word agonized from it. Agonizo. In this one, agonizo mai. And and, and he's saying, you strive to get through the door it's a pretty strong word in fact what's interesting about it it's a technical term in this day talking uh, uh, about athletics it's a it's a term used for competing or combat or fighting first corinthians 9 25 says everyone who fights agonizomai in the games exercises self-control in all things so it's an amazing imagery you have to fight your way through what is this what is what is he talking about what what is this intense struggle about it's the model invitation usually when you go to church and you you hear a preacher and he shares God's gospel and he gives an invitation he says come down and pray this little prayer or come down and, and sign this card or come down and you know if you'll just say this prayer Jesus come into my heart Everything is going to change from that point on. But what's interesting is that's not what Jesus said. Jesus is saying something very different here. And it kind of blows us away because he says strive, agonizomai. Strive to enter the narrow door. You have to fight. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They will fight to defeat their own pride, their own self-righteousness, their own love of sin, their own will, their own desire to be in control of their own life, and they won't win, and they won't enter the kingdom. They won't be saved. It's really one of the most frightening statements Jesus ever made, that many people are going to want to be saved, but they won't be saved. 
because they lost this battle. I'm not sure we in the church today really understand what the, the right invitation should be in America. I don't hear us saying fight to receive salvation, battle to be saved. It seems so easy. But it's a far cry from what Jesus said. Jesus didn't always give this little simple thing that said God loves you. He wants to connect with you so you can fulfill all of your personal dreams. He said it's a narrow door. You have to give up everything. In fact, the door is so narrow that only you come through it. Not your dreams, not your hopes, not your future, not your rights, only you. All those other things drop at the side and they're given up to God. Everything, all of that, that's what it means to go through the narrow gate. Now there's a broad gate and you can take all your stuff there and, and that's what concerns me is in so much of the time even pastors sometimes are given invitations to the broad gate like come to Jesus and he'll fulfill your dreams. Come to Jesus and have a happy marriage. Come to Jesus and let him do all of these things for you because it's really about you and God just wants to do these amazing things for you. It's all about your hopes, desires, dreams and just take all those with you and kind of add God on top of that. And, and it's a big old gate. We'll just all go through it. And we're going through it by the thousands, right? And Jesus said, no, it's not like that. That's not what it looks like. See, my fear is that there'll be people here that have come to community of faith week after week. Or occasionally off and on for many years. And not see what Jesus says salvation really is. Just pray this little prayer and zap, you're on your way to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. There's a broad road. It leads to destruction. Once you find the gate, which is Jesus, the war is on. It's a war for your soul because you're fallen. And you love to control your own life. And the gospel doesn't come along and accommodate that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus wants to come to you and make you everything you want to be. Here's the gospel. Are you ready? Give up everything you are, everything you hope, everything you dream and want to be. Abandon yourself completely to God and his sovereign grace and purpose. That's a battle. That's a battle for the soul, it's a battle to give up control. It's a battle to give everything over to the Lordship of Christ. You know, when Amos was talking about the, the jailer who believed, we, we miss sometimes the, what, it, what is really said there because what Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as he says that, everything flips. Believe on the sovereign, believe on the one who's going to be in control of everything from now on. Step into and believe in the original language, the Greek. It, it's powerful. It means put all that you are on that. Give up everything you are to that. It's interesting to me that the words that they would use for like an Olympic marathon runner when they hit the wall and it gets really hard. Agonizo, my. Agonizo. That's hard. It hurts. Now, I'm not talking about salvation by works, okay? You can't get to heaven by trying to be good. 
This is nothing to do with the, it's nothing to do with the means of salvation. Jesus is the only way and it's by faith in him. Ephesians 2.8 is clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not works lest anyone should boast. That's really clear. What I'm talking about. I'm talking about the method of entry. See you come up to the gate. The gate is Jesus. The rich young man. He knelt before the gate. He was standing right at the gate. And he said, I've got some hopes. And I've got some dreams for my life. And I've got some wealth that I can do some good with. And I've already made some plans in how I'm going to do that. And, and, and I'm standing right here at the gate. And what do I need to do to step through the gate? And Jesus loved him. He wanted him. He's even thinking, Jesus, I can support your ministry. Jesus, I can really make this a lot more cushy than it is right now. I can, we can stay, you know, in, in, a, in the better ends and stuff like that. I'll even travel with you sometime. And Jesus, only one thing you lack. Give up everything. That's all you lack. Just give up everything you own. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. He couldn't do it. He couldn't get through the gate. He didn't make it through the gate. That old, old man on the bench, he hadn't made it through the gate. And as he looked back across his life, he had to be thinking, I missed it. I missed the point of everything. You see, Christianity is probably not going to be that cool. A pastor was getting ready to speak uh, on a program on CNN. And, and one of the cameramen came up to him and said, I love what you say. It's so important to be connected to God. It's so cool to be connected to God. It's so great. And his pastor was thinking in his heart, you know, I don't know that he really understands. He's a nice person. But this critical passage in Matthew kind of helps us understand what Jesus is trying to tell us. So let's look at it. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or the Son of God. It's Jesus' favorite name for himself was Son of Man. Because he was the Son of Man as well as the Son of God. And they said, some, some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. John had been beheaded. Others Elijah that came back from heaven. Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am and Simon Peter answered you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said to him blessed are you Simon Barjona son of Jonah because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my father who is in heaven I also say to you that you're Peter a little rock that's what the word and upon this rock different word means bedrock rock bed I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So here's the scene. It's exam time for the disciples. They've walked with him for like two and a half years. They've seen him up close. And there's only one question on the exam. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking for the rest of them, he gets it. He gets it. You're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the son of the, the, the living God. And you have to know that to come to salvation. So you're God's Messiah. And all that 
you claim is true. And this is the great confession. In fact, when it says the bedrock, you're Peter, a little rock. And on this bedrock, he's talking about your confession that I'm Christ. You got the message from God. You saw what he was saying. I'm going to build my church upon this confession that I am Christ. And the gates of Hades, what is Hades? The Jewish people called Hades. It was the place of the dead. So what's the gate to the place of the dead? It's death, right? Basically, he's just saying death won't overcome it. Satan has the power of death, but even his power of death is not going to overcome the church. So the gates of Hades are not going to overcome it. It's a triumphant note. You got this right. I bet the disciples are starting to go like, all right, I feel it. It's starting to come now. This is the time. This is the moment. This is the, the exact moment that we're going to step into all that God has. And we're, oh, Rome, you better watch out, man. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's going to rule the world. We're going to be at his right hand. He's going to prosper us. We're going to have some health and some wealth. I mean, he'll heal us when we're sick. Maybe he'll even, you know, make a bunch of food for us. That bread from heaven was amazing. We're going to see all this happen. And they're welling with enthusiasm. And then the shocking statement Jesus makes next. It's not what they were expecting. Verse 20. They just said he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. What? I mean, this is the beginning of everything. What? What? And then he goes on. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. That doesn't make sense. I mean, we're swept up in the thrill of the moment, the invincibility of your church and of you and of who you are. And then you say, don't tell anybody. And then you say, my plan is to go and be killed? Uh, I mean, that's shattering. It doesn't make sense. I thought health and wealth and prosperity and all of this, the, the destruction of our Roman oppressors, all of our hopes and dreams was right around the corner. And now you're telling us that's not around the corner? You're saying that you're going to have to die first? Verse 22, Peter, who always talks, right, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. God's not going to allow that to happen. I mean, God's not going to allow you, his son, to die. And in fact, if I have anything to do with it, I'll make sure it doesn't happen. And then... Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I wonder how that felt when Jesus himself calls you Satan when he's looking at you. You are a stumbling block to me. A stumbling block? Why? For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You're setting your, your eyes on man's interests. You have a man-centered idea I, I almost think sometimes when I think about a modern American Christianity that could be the motto you have a man-centered idea it's all about me my hopes my dreams my life scratching all those human itches you know God you come oh it itches right back there right in the top can you scratch that for me 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to know how to come to me, here's how you do it. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's not really that hard to figure this principle out. It's just really hard to step into it. If you want to follow Christ, here's the message. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. We don't hear that a lot in modern American Christianity, deny yourself of all the things that yourself longs for, wants, hopes for, be willing to die. That doesn't sell. That's not smart marketing. We want glory. We want health. We want our happiness. We want painless life. I mean, that's one of our big hopes. God, I don't want a lot of pain. We want the gain without the pain. That's not God's interest. To be a Christian... Is first of all, the death of all hopes, all ambitions, all desires, all longings, all rights that are mine. That's the point. You want to be a Christian, it's not easy. What we need to be telling people is come to Christ and not come to Christ and you'll feel better about yourself. But come to Christ, abandon all the things that you think you need in this life and come to Christ and take up who he is and what he wants for you. Carrying one's cross to the heart of the Roman city was paramount. They did it every time. They would always start on another side of the city from wherever the person was going to be crucified so they would have to carry that big cross bar of the cross across the city because it symbolized something. Rome is ruling. You belong to Rome. Every one of your rights is Rome's. Every one of everything about you is Rome's. You belong to Rome. Rome is right. You weren't. And that's what it symbolized. And they all knew that when Jesus said, take up that cross beam and follow after me. It's saying, Jesus, everything I am belongs to you. I, I think some people kind of define crosses as like, well, that temper that I have is a cross I'm trying to work through. And, you know, the lack of patience. Some of you... I've had you come and say, my mother-in-law is my cross, you know. And I've met your mother-in-law. You're getting closer. But your cross, you know what it is? Your cross is God's unique will for your life. He didn't say, take up my cross. Jesus didn't say, take my cross. He said, take your cross. Your cross. His unique will for you. I want you to take up your cross. That means you give up all of you and step into what I have for you. Because I have a plan and I have a dream. And you're going to see what it is. When Cortez landed at Veracruz in 1519, he only had 700 men, but he conquered much of Mexico. How did he do it? As they were marching up that first hill, the men looked back and all of their ships were on fire. He burned them. And he looked at his men and he said, guys, we're either going to conquer Mexico or we're going to die. And he thought, mm, let's conquer, you know. It's a little bit like coming to Christ. It's like you burn your ships. You say, I'm stepping into you, Jesus, with everything that I am. 
No going back. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, you're not worthy, you know? And that's what he meant. He was like, he was like no, come on, let's go. We're doing this. He says, do that. Take up your cross, deny your dreams, and follow. How do we follow? We're following him. Picture in your mind, Jesus walking along a path. I'm walking behind him. And I don't know about you, but I'm walking behind Jesus, and, and I'm determined to do so, but I, sometimes I get distracted, and I'll start looking off to the, you know, I'll start thinking about my own stuff, and my dreams, and my hopes, and man, I, pretty soon I'm just totally distracted, and suddenly I kind of wake back up, and there was a fork in the road a little ways back, and Jesus is over there, and I'm over here, and he's going, hey, Mark, come on, keep following, come on, follow me. And I look down my road, and it looks really nice. I mean, there's like a Holiday Inn with a pool down there, you know? And I look down his road, and it looks like brambles. And it, I mean, it's really tight and narrow, and I mean, I'm going to get all scratched up. I don't think I like that. And then I choose to follow him, the path he's on. See, Jesus doesn't demand much. He just demands all. Only one thing you lack. Give up everything. That's the only little thing. You know, the guy must have been stunned. Only one little thing you lack. Give it all up and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And Jesus would say, as he closed this out, he'd say, okay. Okay, you can't do it. Well, imagine, what if you were Jeff Bezos and you were worth $140 billion dollars? First man who's ever passed the 100 billion mark, but he passed it pretty good, didn't he? 140, it's because of all those Amazon things you're ordering. 140 billion dollars. No, wait, Jesus goes, no, let's go further. Let's say you own the whole world. That you own the whole world, everything in it. You were the king of the world. Every person had to obey you. Every pleasure that you wanted with whoever you wanted. Every bit of money that is in the whole world, it's all yours. People might be doing something, but you really, it's yours. You own the whole world. All the accolades, prestige, the power, you name it. But then he says, what profit is it? What? I mean, that would be awesome, God. I mean, I own the whole world. That would be crazy to be king of the world. What profit is it if you lose you? If you lose that deep you? If you lose your soul, Matthew says, Luke says, if you lose yourself, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. You try to hold on to that, that, the life here, then you lose the eternal you, and it's not worth it. What would you give up for the eternal you? Even the whole world is not worth it. The short moment in time you don't understand what I'm planning you don't understand what I'm doing you don't know what it means to rule and reign with me as we move on this is just the beginning this is just the shadowlands this is just the dream the morning is coming you're going to wake up and it's going to be what I've planned what I'm moving toward as I'm getting my family together to rule and reign with me forever I want you just to close your eyes for a minute some of you, you might feel really uncomfortable right now. 
that's okay. I think Jesus made people feel uncomfortable. I can tell you we love you. We accept you unconditionally. No one's ever going to judge you here. We know how dysfunctional we all are, but we have a longing. It's the same longing that Jesus had when he looked into the rich young man's eyes and says he loved him. We love you. But we long for you to know what it really means to walk with God. Maybe you've been here for years and you've been sitting out there, but you just kind of added God on top of everything else. Jesus says, you come up to the gate, but you haven't come through the gate. You haven't come through the gate yet. I am the way. I am the door. But when you come through me, you give up everything. Do you hear him saying to you, just one thing you lack. Just one little thing. Give up your hopes and your dreams. Give up the life that you planned. Give up all of those things. And come and follow me. Now, you don't know what he's going to give you back. I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. That's what the old man sitting on the bench realized that he missed. But you don't know what it is. All you know is that I'm giving it all up for your dream for me. Your unique plan for me. I give it up for that. It's not praying a little prayer. It's not saying, hey, Jesus, come into my heart unless you're a child and you mean I'm giving you everything as best you know how. Then he'll, he'll take it. He always does. That's what I did when I was a child. But I know I meant I give you my life. I'm a little six-year-old child. I give you my life. Some of you, when you prayed that prayer, that's what you meant. Well, he takes that. But some of us, when we prayed that prayer, we meant I'm going to sprinkle you on top of my dreams and hopes and wishes and the way I want to live life, and it's obvious because you're still living life the way that you want to. Jesus is going, no, that's not what it means. You've never felt the power of having me inside of you. You've never felt the power to do what I'm asking you to do. You, that's why you still struggle. That's why you still are on your face. That's why you never can seem to quite do right. You don't know what it means to have me inside of you and the new power. Maybe right now where you are, you just want to say, I want to come through that gate right now. I drop my hopes, my dreams. I drop my plan for my life. Some of us, the hardest, I drop my sense of control. You know, if you can just drop it even for an instant and get through the gate, he's going to take it from there, all right? That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. It's not about you and your works. It's about getting through the gate. I want to get through the gate. I want to be saved. He's Lord now. When you do that, he's the Lord. He's over it all. He has every right to you, every right to your future. When he catches us whining, I just think, what is he thinking? We're his bond slaves, Paul says. We are dedicated 100% to him. He can move us where he wants to. He can do what he wants to. Invite that. Lord Jesus, we see you now as who you are. You are sovereign Lord of this universe. You humbled yourself because you loved us. You look right now at us individually. You stand right in front of us. And if we could see with our spiritual eyes, you're looking at us and you love us so much. And you're saying, little 
girl, little son of mine. I want you to know me so bad. I want to walk with you. I want you to receive what I have. If you could just see it, you would know how good my heart is for you. Step through the gate. And God, right now, hundreds of us in this place, right now, we say, yes, we will. For the very first time, whether we've prayed a little prayer or we've done some other little thing or we've gone through some catechisms or some baptisms or whatever in the past and we thought that was it, we know this is it. We step through in Jesus' name right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Look back up here. I am community of faith. The next step after that is stepping in to a local church and saying, I'm all in. I'm in. I'm in. This is important. Look underneath your chair. If you see a white bucket, pass it to the other end. And you can put your prayer requests and this little piece of paper in there. Your tithes and offerings. Just lay it down at the end of your row. Someone will come and pick it up in just a moment. I have a dream for us, community of faith. That we are so in, that we are so all in for God that his power just moves and we see our friends and our neighbors and our children see his glory we see all of them seeing his glory and they're coming into relationship with him we're saying this is the only thing that matters those kids that are struggling because they're risk takers and they're getting wayward and out there they haven't understood that Christianity isn't pablum and you know just little simple tip your hat to God it's an all in cost you everything kind of thing they'd be attracted to that they would want that and they're going to see it 